edit this? <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty easy. That was not great. That's what I said, though. And we're live. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to yet another exciting edition of the Location 1980 podcast. Today I'm here. This is Eric Greenman with uh, my co-host Jesse Fortune at Location 1980. And we have one of our legendary muses, Victory, here Victory with Violet. us today. Welcome back. Thank Welcome you. to the podcast. Yeah, I'm thanks, excited. Thanks for being our guest. Um, have you ever been in, on a podcast before? This is my second podcast. What was the first one? The first one was a podcast focused on promoting polyamorous owned businesses. Okay. We are definitely going to need a link to that. Probably. This is my only other interest that parallels art. <laughs> uh, so you've been modeling with us here many times. But, of course, you've been in the performance art scene of many kinds for a lot longer than just that, right? Yeah, I've been dancing since I could stand, probably. I remember I was on the soccer team, and we had those, like, pointed cleats. And I was, like, doing pirouettes on the soccer field and the cleats and tearing it up, and everyone was getting <laughs> mad at me. So I've been dancing, like, pretty much my whole life. So as a performer, you started dancing as soon as you could walk. Well, yeah, and my what, mom was like, put her in classes, get her out of the house. What's some of your um, f- like uh, earliest memories? I can't think back to maybe when I was like four or something. I don't, I don't know. I remember but... dancing like in the grocery store and coming up with choreography <laughs> in the grocery store and thinking I was in High School Musical. Yes. Um, and then I remember being in this like tap dance bunny outfit, like little thing. And I was like, had a little mini solo moment. And yeah. That's when I was like hooked. How old do you think you were? Probably like seven or eight. Nice. And were you doing anything else uh, as far as like normal little kid stuff? But like, did you have brothers and sisters that I was the oldest of three siblings, but I was the one that mostly did the activities. Makes sense. Yeah, it's good. When you um, when you started dancing, what was your first like inspiration? Like, was it uh, you said High School Musical, or was there like movies or like uh, TV shows you had saw where you're like, I gotta be like that person I think it was like just this inner desire to move my body and to express things that way like I was always talking I was a very talkative child and people were always like shushing me and so I would like <laughs> make dance moves instead to like entertain my siblings or try to get my family's attention there's this like home video of my mom trying to film my little sister and it's just like me trying to get in the way and be like look I'm dancing like so really I think it was about the attention if I'm being honest okay so no no real favorites back then or was there a point in time like later on when you're in maybe middle school or high school where you start like looking at different videos or I I think dancing just always came out of me really naturally and like all the sparkly costumes and everything sounded really fun and appealing to me but when I got into fire, that's when other people really started inspiring me and showing me like how to take it to the next level of my craft. And that wasn't when you're seven. No, that wasn't when I was <laughs> seven. Good. Not quite. Now, did you meet somebody who was already kind of expert in that or like see it getting performed and go, okay, I want this? Or did you try it out on your own somehow and well, that, eventually land in a community of uh, playing performers? Let's explain to our audience what the flow vibe's all about. Yeah. Victory, <laughs> can you take that for us? Yeah, so there's a fraction of dance um, that kind of like overlaps with the clowning community and the martial arts community called flow arts. And we basically have different props like a hula hoop or a stick that have fire or LED like lights on the end. And there's like a whole variety of different props that you can learn how to spin. And once you can get certain moves down, you get to tap into the flow state where you just like aren't thinking about anything else. You're just in 
the moment and everything feels rich and like vibrant and the next move just flows out of you like you don't have to plan anything you're not thinking about time you're not thinking about like where's my foot about to go it just like does it your body just does something and then usually you'll go back and you're like okay well, how did i just do that <laughs> can i do it again and so the, that's the flow state and so people will light these props on fire and spin them for fun and some people are lucky enough to get to do it for our full-time job it's a fantastic explanation now back to where you were going with how she got introduced to that i'm in my own flow state now so <laughs> this concept i want to do it um are there like are there moves that you know after you You've done it a few times, maybe like you said, sometimes you did something and you're like, wait, how did I do that? Do you ever actually decode how you did that and it becomes integrated as like a little sequence that you can kind of call on in the moment? Yeah, a lot of people have their own like signature moves, but a lot of flow art props have like a baseline of geometry. Really, it's a bunch of math. It's really funny. We're all very nerdy, lots of ADHD, lots of spectrum. People are drawn to this because it's all these grids and we're like, okay, now this one points to that grid, and this one points to that mm. grid, and now it goes to this grid, and then you get to turn around and do the grid behind you. So there's all these props and movements that you can do that other people can also learn how to do. So then you can choreograph routines and do it together. But once you have those down, your brain starts looking for more. It's kind of addicting. It's like, well, what if I do that thing but behind my head? And then I like turn the fire out and I put it back on. And so it really just like gives you this it really you call on the element of fire once you start playing with it it starts to spark you up and That's so really neat. your muscles can create new things or they can have muscle memory and do things that you're used to and it just depends on the day what party were you at when you're like because i think that's how we met when you're performing here um, but where, where were you at when you were like, I need to do that? Or can I try? Did yeah. you like literally just raise your hand like, oh, I'm next? I was at a party. <laughs> it was a group called Moon Kindred, which is based here in Orange County. And there was like a drum circle at a recording studio somewhere. And outside I saw someone spinning these ginormous <laughs> fire poi. It was pineapple flow. And uh -huh. he was spinning them. And I hadn't met him yet, but I was like, hey, can I dance with you, like, in there with the fire? Because we do that in ecstatic dance, but not on fire. Obviously, we dance with each other in contact improv. But I was like, can I dance with you in there? And he was like, no. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm coming in. <laughs> and I just kind of, like, put my hair up and put a hoodie on and, like, tried to dance around him and be like, how do I engage with this thing? Like, I wasn't good enough to, like, hold it myself, but mm -hmm. I was like, I can bob and weave and see if the fire hits me. So that's a whole different part of <laughs> and when you said poi that's the one where the flaming element is on like a foot and a half rope mm -hmm. kind of a thing and they have little handles yeah, yeah okay yeah. it comes from polynesian dance style so from that point you were like or well, next time what do i do to where do i sign up or... i yeah i started dating him and then he taught me all the things that i needed to know and then there's festivals that teach you more things that's cool my first fire prop i lit up was a belt that was like a tutu that lights on fire so it's like a fire ballerina was it on Tutu Tuesday? It was not on Tutu Tuesday. It was definitely on a weekend. Uh, fair <laughs> on enough. Joshua Tree. Cool. Um, when you progressed from like recitals when you were a kid and stuff like that, when did you start getting serious? Like when you switched over to like getting paid or being professional or semi-pro? Or I I grew up in Texas and I never thought that I would be living in California, performing on stages in Hollywood for a living. Like where did, where where in Texas? Austin, luckily. So <laughs> the culture there was cool enough, but I moved here when I was eighteen and just like worked kind of whatever job I could find until I started doing dance 
and seeing other people like, you know, Grace Good and Tiana Pow and Madison Orange, like making full-time livings out of performing on stages. And I was like, well, I'm not that far from LA. So I just practiced and it took me probably five years before I was like, I can do a paid gig. Like it takes a long time. Some people already do performance work and then they're like, oh, I'm just going to light on fire for performance work. But if you start in the fire world, most people take like multiple years to feel confident. You have to have insurance. And- so the fire specifically flow was, um, that was your first like paid gig as a full-time dancer or a part-time dancer. Yeah. Fire okay. before, before any other kind of dance. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I, I thought maybe you do more safe dances first. Yeah, and graduate into that. <laughs> I like it. I like to yeah, no, start on fire. Yeah. Start on fire and go from there. Turn it off. Like you said. Yeah. How do you turn that fire off? Science. Okay. You remove the oxygen. I like it. I feel like that's not the hard part. It's the turning it back on mid-performance that sounds challenging. At also least to science. me over here. Also science. Yes. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. Points for science. Thank you. Well, we just had trolling on, so we're smarter for it. Yeah, yeah. back-to-back <laughs> scientific action here. That's great. So um, you do also do sign language, and... You've performed sign language, and what would they call that specifically? Like when you're the interpreter for someone who's on stage, like a live band or Mm -hmm. a DJ? It's a subsection of interpreting, the the interpreting field called performance interpreting. And most interpreters are like not really down to get on stage. They like have a lot of stage fright. They don't want people to see them. They're like, no, 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 I'm just here to communicate what the deaf people need. I don't want everyone to look at me. But being a natural attention seeker and on stages my whole life once I started doing fire I got on stages I got the confidence that I needed to move into doing interpreting work on stages too and how far back does that go when did you learn to sign I started when I was 14 um there was actually a boy in my I was like a special education assistant teacher as my like elective and he taught me two things he taught me how to juggle and he taught me my first signs And I joke, but I'm serious, that this kid shaped my entire personality. (laughs) He taught me circus arts and sign language, which are now what I do for a living. So shout out to Jeffrey for making an impact on me. This is Jeffrey. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's fun. So so did the the two careers always parallel one another? As you dance, you became better at signing or or like what were some of the gigs you do with signing? Like were you always paid or just some people just want to learn sign language so they can communicate with a you know with one person in particular (laughs) so what was your once you had that gift or that skill set where did you apply it mostly so I went to school here in San Diego for interpreting and I was kind of like the hippie outcast student and so right who would (laughs) have guessed it my teachers didn't like me but I was really good Um, but I kind of dropped out of interpreting work entirely because it was very intimidating that I was going to have to adjust my personality and my lack of ability to filter the things that I feel um, into becoming a professional interpreter. So I just like stopped interpreting entirely and gave up. And then I went to a music festival and I saw deaf people there. And I was like, oh, this is where I can interpret. These are my people. I don't have to filter because I'm not Pre-filtered at the gate. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, (laughs) this is the culture I want to be working in. So it was kind of like one step forward in one area, one step forward in the next area, and just kind of noticing that now I'm doing the same things in the same environment. That's awesome. Eric, do you have a question about that? 
Oh God, where do I start? That's how I always feel on this podcast. Um, there is something actually that's it's very close to this. It definitely is going to be close to your Jeffrey that you mentioned, uh, which was something you said a little bit ago. You said there's a big crossover between fire performance artists and the martial arts and clowning communities. And I already know the answer to one of these two, but, but I'm curious about both of those latter two things. Are you involved in the martial arts and clowning communities? <laughs> I'm, I would say somewhat of a clown ninja, maybe. Uh, no, I don't. I don't typically get into the martial arts world um, due to the circus and the sign language. My wrists and hands are very weak, and they are my liability because I need these to do my living. So I'm not trying to get into any combat situations that might risk that. But clowning is definitely a thing that I'm into. Uh, it kind of overlaps in with the circus community a lot. They're not one and the same, circus and clowns? They are not one and the same, no. Could you please explain to our audience and myself the difference? Because <laughs> I feel like and I've only seen the, I've seen through the keyhole of this, this room only, and I want to venture into it a little bit. Like, I know there's so much more to this than I have any clue about, and I'm super curious. Circus is kind of like the tent. Mm. See what I did there? And um, clowning Elephants. is a subsection of the circus. So circus mm. arts can include aerial and pole and hoop tricks and just like ringleader energy um a lot of circus artists go into burlesque work or dancing and fire arts is considered part of the circus arts even though we're more of a martial art than we are a circus art because you don't see fire spinners at the circus the way that you do other tricks and pieces like acrobatics and like tightrope walking and stuff like that that's all in the circus umbrella but not all those people consider themselves clowns and there are clowns who don't do any of those things. So that's the circus, now the clown part. There's a, there's a many an underground world of clowns. <laughs> can, you, can you just do a broad brush overview? Like maybe three of the larger sections of clowning? Well, clowning, I always like to go back to its roots. Every different indigenous community kind of had their own role of clowns. And clowns were originally used to point out and make a public display of the certain activities or problems that that group of people shared together. So on a certain day, the clowns would come out in some indigenous cultures and would like basically demolish or destruct something. And then everyone would like boo the clowns. And it was like their way of teaching the children and the rest of the community, like this is a thing that we don't do. But then they would like turn it around into, it's been like turned into like court jesters. And so there's so many different kinds of clowns. Okay. But there's definitely a world of sexy clowns. Is and there's definitely a world of children's clowns. Okay. And I'm sure there's some overlap, <laughs> but we keep those worlds separate. <laughs> so I'm assuming, uh, well, I don't want to assume, but you're more in the sexy clown realm. Yeah, there's a lot of fire spinners who really like identify in with the clowning like as an aesthetic. It's more like dark clown energy. But for me, I'm like a rubber chicken clown, kind of like, I hate it. I hate slapstick comedy, but I can't help but be it. Right. Like, I call myself bonky because I'm always bonking my head on stuff <laughs> or someone else's head. Everyone's like, bonky. And I'm like, no, I don't want to be that kind of clown. I want to be a punny clown. Ah. I want to be a smart clown instead well, I mean, of a fall on my butt clown. One day you could get there. <laughs> but I just keep learning. You got to go to clown school. Have you been? No, I haven't. And I'm assuming there's one in LA that's probably killer. The best clown school is actually in Arcata. Oh, okay. Which I wouldn't mind going to Arcata for clown school. Okay. Well, any future sponsors, if you're out there, 
Take you me could to clown school. Yeah, you could sponsor <laughs> Victory to go to clown school. And um, is it the clowning too? Is that does it have to do with just as much as the actions as the like makeup and the props, or is it just a state of mind, like the flow state? It's kind of the state of mind of turning something into something else. So a lot of people. I was also a teacher and worked in special ed and disabled communities for a long time. We have a little inside joke that people with learning disabilities either turn into like a teacher's pet or a class clown. That's their way of like covering up their learning disability and like navigating the world with it. So a lot of people have a little bit more clown in them than they think. Sure. And other people have whole developed personalities. <laughs> and it seems like a lot too with, with the arts in general, some of that clowning gets stamped out in our today's school system. They're like, don't clown around. You know? but in reality, sometimes I think we all need to clown around a little bit more. Yeah. Especially when you're young. Well, even in the art world, you see some people who take the arts yeah. So seriously, you know, and it's like, yo, 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 we're here to express, we're here to poke, have a little fun with this, come on. Matter of factly. So that means you're going to let me do a costumed clown figure model session here? Oh, I guess I'm going to have to, after, after, that brilliant exp- like after that brilliant explanation, but see, now I know, <laughs> I don't like scary clowns, I guess. It's a whole subsect, yeah. scary clowns. I don't like them either. Yeah, funny clowns I can deal with. Scary clowns, clowns, yeah, it's not my favorite. And I'm you not grew really... up with like the It movie and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, and it's like... So. You know, if I had to do work in an alleyway, like uh, some scary clown went to come at me, I'm gonna hold my ground. But I don't want to like, <laughs> I don't want to like voluntarily watch movies or go to like whatever wherever they have scary clowns. I'm not gonna pay for it. Like, <laughs> like give me more scary clown. I could do without funny clown. I could do. Um, since since then, since you've done both now performance interpreting, sexy clowning, and flow arts, you've been involved in the festival scene. Um, we were at Burning Man together a couple of years ago. Um, and so you've been to all kinds of festivals. Tell us some of your like more general ones as both a performer, but then also just as like to go have fun. Or have you had that opportunity lately? Or have you been always working every time you go? <laughs> well, at the beginning, it was much more about the fun. And then after a certain point, I realized I had too much purpose and I'm very really, like passion driven. And I just like every festival I go to is really... I'm either teaching dance and like that's my fun is like teaching dance, connecting with other dancers, really important to me, or I'm doing accessibility and sign language services. But I've been to a lot of festivals that were very fun and it is a perk that I work in places that are very entertaining and entertainment focused. Could you give us our top, let's go top, top five, maybe West Coast or North and South America? Okay. Well, I mean, it's not a festival. I do air quotes, but going to Burning Man is life-changing. I suggest it to anybody that it's accessible to um, or finding a way to make it accessible to. You just have to decide that it's happening and then it'll flow for you. Love it. Um, I started going to Burning Man as a performer, which was really fun, being in front of 70,000 people and so close to this ginormous fire was like definitely life-changing. Um, and then I started finding my little deaf festival family and they, there's like five different deaf camps that are run by all deaf people at Burning Man. So then I started being an interpreter and camping with the deaf camps and bouncing from one to the other and offering my services. So that was, now that's what Burning Man is to me. I go out there so that I can connect with these people in the dust and interpret these totally ridiculous workshops and experiences for people who, you know, you don't want your doctor interpreter at your kink burning man workshop you know not quite the vibe 
So the burn is like the most extreme on one end. What what would you say is a more intimate? Because I've I've painted live at some smaller festivals where I really enjoyed it being a little more intimate, a little smaller, smaller stages, smaller crowds, and you're actually talking to people. And I don't know, have you had a similar experience? Yeah, I I love like Lucidity Festival in Santa Barbara has my heart. Um, it's a bit smaller scale. It's a three day camping festival. It's not a whole week in the desert. It's like in Santa Barbara, which is just beautiful. It feels like, you know, the Shire or something and has a much smaller energy family run kind of vibe. And I've been with them for eight years as their ASL access coordinator. And we have like 50 deaf people come out. We've got deaf interpreters doing EDM on stage. And it's a really, really touching experience, but it takes a lot of work. And the festival industry does not pay. It, well, it gives you money, but it's not paying you. Yeah, I get it. It's like, make the thing happen, but you're pretty much donating your energy because the festival world has impacted you in such a way that it feels good to give back. And we see what that culture and industry needs in order to move forward. So, so Lucidity is like, hands down, my favorite festival because honestly, the way that the deaf community has merged with it is really powerful. We have like six deaf workshop lit workshop leaders this year that we're really excited about fun well i've only been to one lucidity but i, I love that that was your answer to his question for that because it is uh it's so much more than just the music i think when people think festival they're like, yeah stages big group you know and, and that's totally going on there but it's like one minor component there's all kinds of workshops all kinds of stuff to walk around and meet other people doing like i would say more than 50 percent of that festival by far happens outside of the musical stages yeah, it's like you can expect everyone to be at the music stages at night, but really the culture and the community is during the day and the Daytime. workshops or the immersive art, the things you can climb. It's, it's similar to the burn in that way. We were speaking in the green room before we started today and you're talking about something that's coming up pretty soon. Can you explain to our audience what, what you got going on? Yeah, yeah. I've, um, I'll have i be in Costa Rica for three weeks in March um, doing interpreting services and providing accessibility. The first one is an event called Cuntopia. It's, there's more than one event. There's two events back okay. to back. Yeah. And then can you give us a rundown on what that is? Yeah, Cuntopia um, is a summit, a leadership summit, where queer, neurodivergent, disabled, people come together and we all teach each other workshops. It's like a Skillshare in the community there. And this will be my first year. I'm really excited. But I knew last year when I heard about it, I was like, they need a deaf person there. Like if they're basically trying to build the future that we want to be living in, you know, they're training the future's leaders so that we can move into our respective fields and make impacts and differences in the world. So I brought in one of my deaf friends who's going to be teaching about sign language and the disabled perspective and how to do therapy for yourself wow. with nature. And it's going to be really amazing. But most people who are coming can't afford to come okay. or pay for these experiences. So, so they get sponsored? Or? What the founder does is she teaches us all how to fundraise. So everybody's been fundraising. It's about $1,000 per person. And if we all bring that in together, it's going to make like 45000 to pay for all 33 of us to come out to the jungle for a week and have this experience. <clears throat> Incredible. Side note, I'm an artist and gallery owner, and I'm curious to see what was uh, one of the more popular forms of fundraising. Was it just uh, GoFundMe or was it like car wash or, I mean, was there old school stuff? Well, we're all over the country. Candy bars. 
So everybody's doing something a little bit different. Okay. So if you go to my Instagram, you can see a fundraising video that I posted that's actually doing really well. I was kind of surprised. Like, I didn't think that I really had what it took to go out and be like, hey, will you guys pay for us to do this cool thing? But it actually works. Like, people are donating. We're at like eleven or 12000 already, and it's only been a week and a half. We're checking it out now. Um, can you? We'll we'll put a link in the description. But what is your Instagram for? Our uh, my audience? Instagram is Victory Violet. Victory's with an I at the end. And no dot or anything. No dots. Victory Violet on Insta, and uh, yeah, we're watching it right now. I can't wait to see that in its entirety. It's cool. So it's doing really well. I, I can't see any numbers, but it's it's a trippy. Like I've I've done some stuff that almost went viral, or like certain time lapses that are like. You think one's going to do really well, and then the other one crushes it. And it's neat to watch the numbers. Like, whoa, what's going on? I haven't gone full <laughs> viral or anything nice. yet. Um, it's really easy for sign language interpreters to go viral, but it's kind of frowned upon by the deaf community because mm. it's like making it about ourselves rather than the reason we're there is so that they can know what's going on. I get you. So we try to keep our videos off the internet, but last year I had two performances that kind of made me like a micro celebrity in the festival world. I think we did eight festivals last year and at every single one, multiple people came up and were like, you're the interpreter from Rising Appalachia nice. at Envision or you were the interpreter for my glove at Lucidity. And that was like a, whoa, this is weird kind of experience. <laughs> That's cool. It's, you're doing a good job then. Well, and it's generating awareness of the importance of your role there, or, or of anyone who's going to fill that role. So, I mean, I think that's a great thing. Yeah, it's good to promote the awareness that there are deaf people at these events. Yeah, that's fun. Um, so, and what is that? You said you're going to do two events, so that was the first one, Cuntopia. Cuntopia. And the second one is? Envision. And uh, could you explain more about what Envision is? Envision is also a week-long festival in the jungle in Uvita, Costa Rica, right on the beach. And it's all-day workshops, like yoga-focused, um, kundalini dance, stuff like that. And then all night, there's like these huge immersive art stages with all these crazy lasers and lights and artists like Closey and dirt wire and human experience so when we when we go we go as an accessibility team so i'll be interpreting all day in these different workshops and deaf people get to pick where they want to go and we interpret and then at night we go out with them and experience music through deaf people's perspective which is right in front of the speakers with your earplugs in <laughs> that's intense I, I was wondering how do you would you like dance and stuff when you're doing electronic interpretation i how... have to try not to oh <laughs> Because, I mean, well, what do you, uh, I'm just curious, like, how, how are you interpreting that if it's, like, uh, mostly instrumental or just beats or whatever? Like, what? It's a lot. So, a lot of deaf people really connect with the bass. Okay. When they connect with the bass, but they're not able to hear the high range notes, which is where a lot of, like, the intricate noises come in that makes music enjoyable. It's like, boom, 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 boom. That's cool. It's like a massage or a vibration, you know, but the high-pitched noises like you see how I'm doing it with my fingers it like there's different ways like it might look like a bird or sound like a bird so I'm going to do stuff that's like a bird okay. or it might sound like something squishing and I'm like clink 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 and so you <laughs> show it. the motion that kind of matches the sound and the thing is like I cool. I'm a dancer so I know how to translate sound into visual experiences but deaf people are crazy good at it like hmm. there's this one guy Julian who blows my mind for Skrillex like the way his mouth moves you can feel it feels like the sounds are coming out of his mouth oh. and the way his eyebrows move is like the beep, 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 beep stuff and it's like all happening at the same time 
So we'll that's to... my major inspiration cool. for music interpreting. We'll have to check that out for sure. Yeah, we'll put a link. <laughs> yeah, this, is, this is like a whole new genre of human action that I did not realize was going on. And I'm like, I need to witness this now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's a good way too, especially um, it, it, it's a well-rounded experience then at that point. Because I've seen some times when you guys are working and I'm, I'm actually curious. It's, it's like, um, especially with a DJ, because there might be a light show or a background or whatever, but you can, I mean, even heard some DJs say this, they'd, they'd prefer if everybody turned around and just listened to the music. Um, and that's what I kind of, if there is someone interpreting, I would gravitate towards that because it's, it seems like it's more of the experience without just looking at a DJ, you know? Whereas right. like they're, you're actually trying to, I don't know. It, it's much more expressive. Yes. That's cool. Um, it's kind of where we got the company name. What? For Expressive Entertainers. Okay. Which you are the founder. Yes. Yeah, that's my LLC. Have you mentioned that yet? That you're, I don't think you're so. You're an entrepreneur? Yeah. So um, tell us about the blanket of Expressive Entertainers. Yeah, I, I um, have these three passions of doing sign language interpreting and fire performing or dance in general and being a muse and a model. And I thought, well, these are all three in the entertainment sector. Me specifically interpreting is in the entertainment sector. And the thing that people like about me as a model, dancer, and interpreter is that I'm very expressive. I get that in all of my jobs. So I was like, expressive entertainers, it makes sense. I was actually on the stand as a model and the idea came to me. I was like, oh, as soon as I got off the stand, I wrote it down. Yeah. And then I went back on the stand and I saw the logo. And I was like, oh, God. I went down and I drew the logo and I took a picture, sent it to my girl real quick to make. So I Excellent. started my whole LLC like while I was modeling. Oh, that's awesome. Well, we've talked about sign language and we've talked about the flow community and, and even clowning a bit. Um, but we haven't <laughs> talked about musing. So uh, I met you, you told me earlier <laughs> that it was when you were performing here, but then you became a muse also. Um, and then since then, you've started the Music Academy. So tell us, before we get into the Music Academy, tell us about just going to, like, from performing uh, flow to then, like, wanting to be a muse. And how did, who did you see? Yeah. Or, or you're like, I'll just do that. Because I've seen a lot of people want to try, do it, and then never have to do it again and be totally fine with it. They didn't, they didn't have a bad experience. It was really good. But they just wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. And then they did it. But Versus making a, a career out of it or a part of a career, uh, let alone opening an academy to teach other <laughs> other people to do uh, be a muse as well. So what made you want to cross over into musing? Yeah, I was living in a community house down in San Diego called Meow's Floating Castle. It was like a hippie commune party house. And Say it one more time. Meow's Floating Castle. You might have ever been to <laughs> I've been to some interesting events in San Diego. But... <laughs> no, I think we would remember. It, we called it that because a lot of the walls looked like they moved. But it was, it was actual a house. Castle. Oh, it was okay. a house, but it was like okay. kind of on stilts and had a long driveway with a gate. So it looked like a floating castle and the walls moved. So it's like house moving castle. Oh, okay. But we were living there and my girlfriend at the time was a muse and model. She was working for Cutter Hayes and she took home this piece of art of her. And I was like, this is amazing. I want that. And she's <laughs> like, well, you should model with me at this art gallery. They're like, it's open to multiple models. So I went with her and, or maybe I covered her one night when she was sick or something and I was mortified. 
I was so terrified being up there. I had no idea what I was doing. But the, uh, beforehand or while you were actually while not, I was modeling, oh. I was so scared. I was like, oh my god, I'm naked for these strangers. Like, is someone gonna make it weird? <laughs> she didn't prep. Like, she I didn't... mean, she tried, you know. But there's nothing that really can prepare you to go be naked in front of strangers for your first time and not know anyone there. And it was like kind of in this darkish room in the back of a wine gallery. So I was like, is this sketchy? Like, but it wasn't. It's it was, a good question. But... It wasn't sketchy. Um, it was Art Beat on Main Street, RIP. They got shut down oh, during COVID. But yeah, I started modeling there and I was just like, this is so hard, but I love it. Like, how much on stage experience did you have at that time? None. No on stage. Well, other than like dance. Yeah, doing, doing other things. Yeah. yeah, dance team's different. Just being you comfortable in front of the else. crowd, at least. So you yeah, hadn't, you not hadn't being done solo. fire yet, though? I hadn't, okay. done, I hadn't done fire on stages. Because okay. remember, it took me five years to start working. So you were already musing by the time you yeah. crossed over? Yeah, so I, I really got hooked on it because it was just really challenging. <laughs> I, I realized there was a lot to work through for there. So after the first night of being mortified, you didn't leave going, fuck that. I you was like, sweating bullets, it. but I got <laughs> off the stage like, that was cool. Nice. Yeah. I've, I've amused myself. I did it in college and then again here in, at nineteen eighty. So when you came to me uh, talking about the music at me, I, I, I was... I was really into it because I've done both sides of the stage and then I've also helped some models that kind of get over their initial mm -hmm. fear because a lot of people sign up, they want to do it, like fill in for a girlfriend. Um, and then when they show up, you can see it and you're like, let me just kind of walk you through it. And it, it's helped that I've, I've mused before versus just kind of guessing, you know, um, but you do get to the point where some people just aren't going to come back or like, yeah, but they could have a good experience. But the Music Academy, I think you go above and beyond the A to Z of filtering out, like uh, really asking someone, do they really want to be a muse? And if you do want to be a muse, how to do it. So can you tell us more about your Music Academy? Yeah, let me. Sure. So the first Music Academy happened because um, I was I hurt myself working as a model and I had a few sessions that I didn't want to bail on. And so I trained one of my partners to do it and I taught them how to go and do it. And then I was like, two or three other people were like, Hey, I want to do that. And I was like, okay, well, like, would you pay me to teach you? You know, cause I've been doing this for like eight years and like, I have a lot of knowledge. And then I just started writing it down one day, like while I was on the stand, like little things that I would notice. Um, I just started typing it all into my notes. Always bring a journal with you while you model. Cause you get all these great ideas you got to write down. And it's so very meditative. It's so meditative. <laughs> yeah, this it's changed my life. So my first one was down in Oceanside and I think there were like five or six people there and it was like really chaotic. I was really nervous. I was just like, I just want to teach you guys how to do this thing so you don't hurt yourselves. And then it turned into like lots of people wanting to do it and me getting a longer and longer list of things I wanted to teach and then it moving into like emotional coaching through the things that can come up and different practices you can do to get control of your emotional regulation and then like the physical needs of how to pose as a disabled person because I've got some disabled folks who love to pose and are beautiful models but they're like how do I do this without hurting myself if this keeps happening so it just keeps growing and growing and we're really excited to take it virtual and also take it on tour we've had requests to take it to Austin in April through Factory on 5th, and then in D.C. through um, one of the art galleries there that I was working with. So That's I'm awesome. hoping it can just, like, 
help people who want to get into the arts or maybe need a more flexible schedule and are creatives and don't know how to use their creative energy and skills to make money. Like this is a very viable career for a lot of people. And I would, I would add to that having conducted 13 years of figure drawing sessions myself and being amused is that it speaks to the lack of any real formal way to become amused. You, I mean, I've been to community colleges, art, art institutes, and a lot of times the muses are just someone who it's their side hustle. They're good at it, but I, I mean, sometimes you, you can see who the true professionals are, but there's every time you ask them, how'd you become a muse? It's going to be, you ask a hundred people, it's going to be a hundred different stories <laughs> versus, you know, it's like, I play disc golf a lot and in disc golf, it's an athletic sport where it's like activity, but it's a sport, but because it's so new and there's not been any real formal training, you can't go to college. For, well, you can now go to college for disc golf, but there's all these different ways to like learn, but nobody really, it's, a lot of them could be right, but there's no one thing you just go to like disc golf academy or music academy. So it's neat right. to see, but it's the same thing. It's like all these people that maybe want to do it or some people don't even know, but just by you doing it, it's like kind of flipping some switches in people's heads. Like, I didn't know oh, what's this music academy because we've done it here. And people, it's been great. Now we have muses that uh, you've started careers. And it's just really awesome. So thanks for bringing Music Academy to us. Mm -hmm. And thanks for doing it. I'm glad you're bringing it on the road because I can see how uh, a lot, like you said, with the um, the fundraising being different in different communities. I'm sure the um, your guests at the Music Academy or your students yeah. um, will be so much different from state to state or country to country, hopefully, right? It's always different why people want to be amused, yeah. too. There's so many different reasons. And, like, definitely some people get, like, hooked into it. And some people just want to do it that one time in a mm -hmm. safe container and know that it's safe. And then they're like, cool, I got a piece of art of me. And I'm done. Yeah. That's <laughs> a wrap. Which, that could be cool, too, of me. Have you ever mused, Eric? Only once. I was actually thinking about this the last couple minutes as this conversation <laughs> was developed. Uh, only once. And I'd love to more. And we can talk about that. Later, but uh, well, if you want to music thinking, here, you have to go through the music academy. Oh, hey, <laughs> right, oh, push me, okay, switch my. Uh, but I realized I'm like, I think I'm the only person in the whole room right now that hasn't modeled here at 1980. Uh -huh. Yeah. Oh yeah, our uh, our technical yeah. assistants both have been through the music academy. I feel a little like the, the odd man out all of a sudden. I well, the you know, so it changes in the, the wall. <laughs> Get there naked on stage. <laughs> Just throw Perform. yourself into it. See, that's the thing. This doesn't have a hard sales pitch. It's like, <laughs> it's like okay, let's go. Well, I won't mention names, but one of the most boldest uh, moves I've ever seen was like a microwave version of the Music Academy. It was one of the artists here, it was a female, and the uh, muse didn't show up, and we had a whole room full of people. And if you're conducting a workshop and the muse doesn't show up, no call, no show, that's like a death nail. And I've I've actually mused here on specifically because the male model didn't show up and I didn't want to let everybody be disappointed. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm a male. I can model. I'm doing it. And I'm like, I'm not also going to lose out on this because everybody already has their stuff out. And so I did that before. But the time I'm referring to is when same scenario, but it's supposed to be a female muse. So the, the male musing wasn't possible. And she was one of the artists and she was like, I'll do it. And I was like, are you serious? And she was like, yeah. And she went to the bathroom and she came out and she just went right on the stage. Like she just went some kind of 
uh, almost like in the movie Over the Top when Stallone turns his hat around before he arm wrestles. Yeah. She just changed faces and she went from artist to muse and just like that. And she was great. She was fantastic. So it was just really cool. But it was like the the microburst version of the Muse Academy. A lot of people can just get up there and do it their first time yeah. and, you know, they're okay. Some people get up there their first time and just, like, be shaking or... A little stiff. Choose a pose <laughs> that they think is good and it hurts really bad and then you're struggling in it and it's really obvious. So it can be hit or miss. So I encourage people, if you feel, you know, like you want to try to muse and you have an opportunity right in front of you, like, go for it. And if you want to get a little bit of extra help, I also do one-on-ones. So you don't have to do the whole academy. You can like sit in on a one-on-one with me and ask questions and stuff too. Nice. Are we, um, when is the next Muse Academy? I was hoping you wouldn't ask that. <laughs> um, I'll tease it because I know we don't have it on the books, but I mean here anyway, it. but yeah. I'm sure you have someone else, somewhere else planned. Well, when I get back from Costa Rica, my mindset will be a little bit more like, okay, what's happening here? But right now everything's geared towards those two sure. events. Ah, if you get a, a dull moment, you can always do an impromptu mm-hmm. music academy at the, at the festival. Oh, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. know. I think I might host one at my new house. It's Perfect. got like a whole art gallery built in. So cool. Do you have any um, um, art you've been waiting to put up for like sometimes when you move? You just moved, right? Yes. So, I have so much art of, that artists have gifted to me that right. I need to frame. I just framed one of um, Terrell's pieces and I'm really excited to put it up in the art gallery. I have a piece that he did with all of the muses from the Muse Academy on one sheet. So it's like all of us are on there, Super and cool. that was really, really sweet. Was that in his name phase where he was writing like... No, he just put all of us on no. there, and we're each a different color. So you can see like there's two of Brie and green, and two of Tara and yellow, and two of me and purple, obviously. The montage. Yeah, it's like a montage of all of us. I'm really excited about that. That's great. That's cool. Well, I don't yeah, have any pieces from you yet, though. You do not. We need to fix that. <laughs> sure. I mean, um, you've seen a lot of my work. Would you like a landscape or a figurative piece? Oh, me. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, Maybe well, I mean, tonight. you never know. It could be happening. I'm inspired. I mean, this is the first time that I've ever done. We haven't recorded an episode and then immediately went into a figure drawing workshop. Yeah, this or, is a new setup. We're usually on some like a off, you know, nice casual night where that's the only thing going on that day is record. And yeah, sir. Um, here we're rolling right into the course right after this. Yeah, so, for everyone. So Victory's about to model after stop <laughs> yeah. taping. FYI, everybody. Yeah, for everyone listening. Yeah, we're do, we're basically going to do um, wrap this podcast, take a little halftime break, and then um, Victory and Dietrich are going to do a dual muse. So we have male female poses uh, separately together. Um, and it's going to be super fun and should be packed. And I'm glad that we can take this energy of having to get to know you better now. And then now when you pose, it's going to be much more gravity. You'll see the clowning built into the I poses. Can, then it'll make more sense now. <laughs> now I can lean into it and I won't be so scared. I can almost remember some of the scenes from when you were posing for us like Halloween two years ago or something. I did bring some clowny out. I'm recalling the clowny energy coming. Was that the, was that with, with the big axe? Was it Yoni was I here? I think Yoni was here. Yeah, that's when we did the last dual pose here. Nice. I love that we do this once a year. So um, let's talk a little bit about that tonight. Um, do you guys have anything that you planned or yeah. I mean, you've done a lot of... We've got a whole set we built. Okay, there, sweet. We left some room for flexibility just because when you're in the pose, you're like, oh, I know what we should do next. But we've got some cool stuff. We do this like insane dance style called Contact Improv where we do a lot of weight sharing and leaning 
into each other but then i like to play this game where um i don't do any of the work mm. and so Dietrich will like flip me upside down and i'll be like on their shoulder like all crazy leg and then we'll flip over to the other shoulder and it's like this continuous i like monkey climb around them like a tree and how long are these poses <laughs> so we're, we're trying to bring that energy into okay. the poses right. we did it um at muse monday which is my life drawing in encinitas a few like what was that a month ago and we learned the hard way which poses we're not going to do yeah and we did find some poses that are going to be really cool so we'll do some cool two minutes when you find a pose that you you know you're not going to do um did you pull through it or you're like all right forget this i'm over it there was one where i was like oh okay ow and we were both like Whew. it was two minutes you know you can oh. usually get through it and then there was another one that um it, we pinched a nerve on my hip like immediately and i just was like nope we're not doing that sorry guys elbow to the hip like <laughs> i get it um so do you have anything else uh, coming up victory you'd like to share with us so many things that I could think of. If you like to go to festivals, let me know. I got a lot of festivals that we're doing. What are some other highlights coming up in your years? 2024, you just talked extensively about um, the Contopia and what else in Costa Rica? Contopia and then Envision in Costa Rica. And then we come back and there's potentially I'm doing the Texas Eclipse Festival is going to be a humongous production. So we'll see. I don't know if I want to be anywhere near that <laughs> or if I want to be all of in it. <laughs> Haven't decided yet. Right. And then Lucidity Festival in Santa Barbara is always a favorite. And these are all in the spring leading up to LIB, I guess. Yep. Then also we'll be at LIB in May um, at the Burn in August, but hoping to sprinkle in some music academies in there and hopefully also get it virtual so you guys can do this online. Not have to wait for me to teach in person. Although in that's person... Great. We get work take. We get to take home art that people have made of us, so that's really cool. Yeah, and have you when you do the music academy elsewhere? Have other people donate art as well? Um, not like how we do it here. Tradition? Yeah, I'm gonna steal Terrell though. Yeah, <laughs> for the next one. Yeah, you could borrow him. That's fine. <laughs> um, and for um, you guys that don't know, what we're referring to is a. It's been a tradition outside of music academy as well. Here at 1980, if we're We've been doing these workshops. I think the longevity has a lot to do with it. But some of the artists have been here since the very beginning. So, so 13, almost 14 years of every Wednesday workshops with some of the muses and some brand new muses and some muses we haven't even begun to meet yet. But when you crank out the work at a really high clip, it's sometimes it just stacks up and figurative work can be hard to sell. But if you gifted to amuse they're more than delighted to take it home and add it to their collection so we've made it a tradition i would say there's at least 25 30 artists here that i've seen give original artworks to muses over the years it and, took me uh, years to get my first piece <laughs> of art but did you did you ask the whole time no i wasn't asking it felt rude you know this is why we have music academy to teach you when you that's can ask. great well if you ever muse here too um just all you gotta do is ask well i feel like that's kind of a new threshold to break through right the first time when you're not asking and the first time that someone thinks the work that they did is so good that they're like i'm gonna give it to you like i imagine that's got to be rewarding on the the getting end it definitely is uh, more often i'm like wow this is amazing like can i have it and they're like oh no you don't want this this isn't good and i'm like but i just asked for it <laughs> i do actually want it and they their self-value of their art is a little too low to feel like they want to send it home with someone well it's a lesson for all models ask for more amused drawings i also you, you inspired people, us i accept tips and art there you go <laughs> so just open it up that's good i like know. it we'll I put like that on the uh the do's and don'ts list do give your muse artwork. Yep. I like it. 
I do have one more event too that I want to yeah. plug. Um, on February 18th, I'll, we're doing our first life drawing at Trilogy Sanctuary, which is this really like fancy, cool, schwanky, vegan rooftop lounge in La Jolla, which has a huge art scene. When is it? It's on February 18th, which is a Sunday from 6.30 to 9.30 p.m. And the theme is drawing Aphrodite. And mm. I'm going to be mixing in a bunch of my passions. So there'll be like a DJ setting the vibe. So like matching the song to whatever pose I'm doing. Nice. Which will be a fun little game. And then I'm also going to be doing a live performance dance piece before I pose. That's cool. I might be down there actually. Tarot's It'll fun. be fun. Okay. You can I like it. That'd be fun. Um, well, with that, Eric, do you have any other questions for our guest tonight? Are you going to oh, come yeah. draw with us? Absolutely. We'll have to post links to our drawings, too. Yeah, that's true. Well, that's we neat. got some good content coming out for you, the promo of this episode tonight. This is unique. That's <laughs> yeah, a unique scenario. It is. It is. I like this. I like this integrating different parts of the whole 1980 machine all together. You've been, to, you've been to several events here. Um, maybe you can give us a plug, Victory. What What? What? What all have you done here as far as cool oh stuff? Oh my gosh. And why do you keep coming so back? So many cool <laughs> things. I always am telling people about 1980, especially my muses. Even when they're in San Diego, I'm like, it's worth it to drive up there just to see the space. What you've done here is incredible. All the different rooms and spaces you can like. It's like a little festival. Like you can immersively walk through. If you ever did a festival here, that would be quite a feat to Might deal with have parking. To. It feels like but, that. Yeah. But otherwise amazing. So I've done my first event here, I think was a Burning Man fundraiser for the Lens Project, which three years later then we went and camped together and built the art project together. Yes. So my first time here was as a fire performer and then I started musing here and then one of my partners DJed here a lot. So for a lot of the private parties, I've been to great private parties here. All the art fundraisers are amazing. The puff and paints, the Christmas um, annual sale is always a great place to get goodies and seeing um, your, uh, what is the word here? Is it neon? The neon. The neon art that you're making in collaboration with Meerkat, like, this space here is built for collaboration and it feels like community from the base up. So it just made sense when the oh. Muse Academy was born. You were like, oh, it actually, you coined the name. You're like, <laughs> it's an academy for muses. It's like, it, it is like puzzle pieces, how yeah. everything fits together here. Well, I definitely thank you so much for that. And I definitely can't beat that as far as summing up what we do at 1980. <laughs> and, and we're stoked to have you here as, and as another part, as being our muse and now our guest and helping us uh, grow the podcast audience. Um, Eric, do you get anything else? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just it's going to be an extended thank you, really, uh, for obviously everything. But I mean, for today, too, because you're so expressive. You're so, it feels to me, and I think, Jesse, you'd probably agree, uh, you are so plugged into your passions. And uh, I'm somebody who struggles a lot with that. And this place, as we've talked about on other episodes, has helped me open that up. But this is super inspiring to hear you talking about like, yeah, I get to be on stage and get paid for it. I get to do what I love. I get to model. I'm creating all this stuff. You know, you've got the entrepreneurial Contagious generative <laughs> angle. Yeah. And I mean, it's seriously, it is really inspiring to see someone who's living their life like that. Because I regard people who do that and I'm trying to be one of them. So thank you. Yeah, thanks, Victory Violet. She's our guest tonight. And with that, we're going to wrap Location 1980's art podcast. Thank you guys for listening and watching. You can follow us on YouTube and everywhere else you listen to your podcast. Uh, thanks so much. We don't have any sponsors yet, but we're going to get them. So we're going to keep making our faux uh, sponsor <laughs> commercials. But Right now, um, we can be to our tech assistants. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thanks so much, Jillian and David, <laughs> behind, the, uh, behind the scene over there for making this happen. But thanks, and we're going to sign off. Thanks.